0: today on a classic compassion radio
1: we moved along the tajikistan afghan border working with a local tajik church to get small numbers of afghan christians out who needed to flee some christians aren't going to leave right they want to stay also we got food and supplies for about 300 people that already fled over to the tajik side as refugees and our ongoing relationship with the tajik church and with the afghan underground church is ongoing and small
0: Back with us on Compassion Radio, a guest that means the world to us because he's been so transparent about what God's doing literally on the front lines of faith and of warfare. And the man has been everywhere, David Eubank from Free Burma Rangers. Welcome back to Compassion Radio.
1: Thank you, Brahman. Thank you, Compassion. We love you. Thanks for loving us.
0: You keep popping up in the greatest places, and I know a lot of people across uh, evangelical circles all around the world now are very familiar with Free Burma Rangers, but... Just give us a quick recap of what your mission is, and then we'll talk about what's been happening recently.
1: Yeah. Uh, my mission, personally, is to share the love of Jesus and be Jesus' ambassador in word and deed as he leads. And then the mission of the Free Burma Rangers, we're a humanitarian organization led by love to help people in conflict areas and get the news out. And helping people means giving humanitarian care, such as medical support, food, shelter, helping to move out of dangerous areas, and telling the news or putting a light on is telling their story so the world knows how precious they are and what's happening.
0: We're going to talk about some of those precious people real soon. Let me cover real quickly with you, David, about the movie release that happened in the past six months. You have a presence on the big screen in America about the time when the theaters were getting ready to shut down and then when they reopened again. Tell me about the making of that film, and why it was so important that you actually got into multimedia situations.
1: Well, every one of our relief teams, we have 100 teams in Burma. These are all ethnic teams, five person teams, a team leader, a medic, a good life club counselor, a photographer and a videographer. So every one of these teams has someone who's shooting video and we do it to put a light on the situation, to report what's actually happening, and so people can see what's happening. So we have thousands of hours of film. same with our team in Syria and same in Iraq. So we're always trying to tell the story of what we see happening, what we see God doing, what we see people's needs are. And so we accumulated a lot of this footage. Mm-hmm. And it came to a point about two, three years ago, we felt we should tell the story. I felt like, you know, one of the ten that Jesus healed that wanted to go back and say thank you. Yeah. So we wanted to, to make a documentary that would thank people for their support and mostly just thank God. God, this is what you gave us. This is what we saw you do through us in spite of ourselves. I just felt that responsibility to tell the story. And if I'd done it by myself, it wouldn't be very good because I'm not a movie maker. Mm-hmm. Chris Sinclair, a friend of mine, said he would do the film for free. Mm. And then Brent Kudel later on and David Mahanes with a small Christian company called DayDocs, they said they would do it. And then everybody started putting together the films that we'd shot, and they added some interviews of their own and started crafting it, and then it needed money yeah. to make you know, the next step. And at that point, without even asking, people said they would help. And so we had donors from all over the U.S., and we were able to make this documentary. Well, they were able to make it. I was just there and giving them footage and trying to answer questions. But I think they did a great job, to me, of God in the midst of humanity the needs of people, and how you can meet needs with God's help.
0: Now, we need to remind people that you can't tell every story every time, so you have to be very selective in the stories you choose for any given opportunity. And part of your discernment, your wisdom and where you go and how you share about the needs around the world and what God's doing is choosing the right story for the right people at the right time, because you got a thousand in your catalog. It highlighted your journey into what I would call the heart of darkness for any Christian, which was introducing conflicts and religious persecutions and the deadly toll of a number of mistaken wars that have just continued to grind down the Middle East and Central Asia. And like you and I talking when you were actually on the assault in Mosul a couple of years ago, This movie took you right into that action again and showed the redemption of some, the loss of others, and the breakdown of many of your people, including yourself, on camera. Why did you choose to tell that particular story in that film?
1: Well, it was true. It was true, and I thought it was also important because God showed me something in the loss of that child that Isis killed that affected me deeply. You know, I'd seen many children killed, but this particular one, I got to know her a little bit. And she was just like one too many. You're just like, man, I knew her. And so when she was killed right in front of me, then I remember this feeling of, I want justice. Hmm. This is wrong. We've got to stop ISIS. The only way you can stop them because they do not negotiate is to shoot them or kill them in some form or fashion. Isn't that justice? And I felt like it was. And when I asked God to show me the truth of it, The next morning, and then put my finger three different places in the Bible randomly, I came up with the same answer every time. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. And it was like God showed me what you're asking for was not justice, it was revenge. Because you have no love for those people. Well, of course I don't. They're evil. But what will happen if you get revenge? You'll be operating with hate, and that hate will eventually come back and destroy you. And won't really do much to the others. And I just said, Jesus, I give up revenge. Please forgive me. And it was like a 2,000-pound weight left my shoulder, Mm. like instant surgery. And, you know, later on, we did fight ISIS. Later on, I shot ISIS, Mm. but I did not hate them. And I did not have to kill them. There's a huge difference. And I learned that justice is only justice when there's love.
0: Mm.
1: Without love, there's really no justice, because justice also requires mercy. Justice belongs to humans. God tells us we must be just, but revenge belongs to him. Because we can't handle it. We cannot handle revenge. And so only God can. He knows that. So he tells us, stay away from it. And we focus on justice and love. And it always means holding someone to account. Sometimes it means various punishments. But it's always done in the context. What's the best way that person can learn or be stopped? And so those things were so important to my heart. And I felt the healing of Jesus so quickly. I thought, I've got to tell that story as my testimony.
0: Well, we're living in a world where it seems like Mockery and hate have become the baseline and they're excused and explained away with nary a question, even within the Christian community in the past few years. And I've spoken strongly about that through this program because it's my only platform with which to communicate anything because I've seen how that hate plays out in so many corners of the world. You've seen every bit of it because you've been literally where the hate is wreaking havoc. Yes. When Jesus talks about hate being equivalent to murder because once you've hated somebody, they might as well be dead to you. It's not a light metaphor. I think Jesus is really talking about the core of our heart. It really would erupt into the kind of violence that would kill if it was given opportunity. So Jesus speaks very much against that because it's not the spirit of the living God, nor is it his spirit as the son of God to act vengefully, as you talked about. What do you see in the world right now is the key message that we need to take away from how hate has crept in so close.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I think for most of us, if we really hate someone, really hate them, we wish them dead. And if there were no consequences and you're making them dead, some people would kill just because of that hate, because yeah. it takes you to a whole nother level. And part of that level is Satan's realm and the demonic. And so a lot of times it's just law and consequences that stop people from killing each other, but they still hate. And that hate not only makes that person dead to you, it starts deadening you. Yeah. It has the double effect. It's just like when you love someone else, the love inside you grows. When you hate someone else, hate inside you grows. You become less human. You become more demonic. And so I think that's what Jesus warning us. It's not just a physical action that comes out of hate. It's a spiritual, emotional, relational destroyer. And it's really bad for you. God wants only things good for us. And so he
0: showed me that. Yeah. And David, you've seen that up close. Everywhere you go, it seems to be like you're intersecting with God's plans in the face of hate and violence happening. You don't go places where there's lots of peace and flowers. You go where there are bombs going off and people are under persecution and threat of death, because that's where God has called you to plant his garden. So talk to me about the places that you've been going recently. Just a couple weeks ago, I was hearing about what you had done briefly on the edges of Afghanistan. It was not easy to get in at the time. Even with all of your street cred that you had, it was still hard to get into places. First of all, let's just talk about Afghanistan. Where were you if you can talk about any of those particular operational things? And what were you doing and hoping to do during that time?
1: Well, we've never had a full-on Freedom Ranger mission in Afghanistan, but our family has visited U.S. Army friends of mine there and missionaries, and we've been way up at the beginning of the Wakhan Corridor in Badakhshan Provinces in the far north, mm-hmm. riding horses with a Kuchi. My kids were real small then. Mm. And we've been down in the Bagram area and Kaprisa, Baglan and Kabul. Not everywhere, but just a few different places right after liberation in 2002 and 2003 and then in 2007. So we're no experts on Afghanistan, but we have relationships there.
0: Friends, if prayer matters to God, it should matter to us. We're taking that to heart here at Compassion Radio, especially in what seems like very uncertain times. When we get up, We're praying for you. When we lay down at night, we're thanking God for you. Every time we think of you, we're asking God to provide above and beyond for you and your family so you'd know how much He loves you and cares for you. We're also praying for all those suffering and afraid in this world, not just for protection from physical harm, but from the disease of fear and hopelessness. We pray that this kingdom of which we are part will do its part to continue reaching people with the love of Christ and the certainty of His ability to do so much more than we could ever ask or imagine. I hope you'll pray and act with us for these things as well. Especially in times like this, I want to express my deep gratitude to you for allowing us to come to you each day with a word of challenge and comfort, truth and vision. As long as you stand with us and the Lord provides all of us the means to do so, We'll be right here each day, doing what God enables us to do in supporting you and our Christian family around the world. Again, thank you. It's our strong desire to be going deeper, to go farther, to be braver than we've ever been, and to bring you the stories that you just won't hear anywhere else. Friends, I simply ask that you would keep giving so that we can give back to the world through our strategic ministry partners and to you with inspiring programming on this radio station and over the Internet. Here's how. The first and best way to reach us is through our website. It's available 24-7. Our safe and secure order form there will get your gift to the places needed most and we'll do it right away. You can also support us with a call during Pacific Time Business Hours at 1-800-868-2478. That's 1 800 868 2478. You can also text Compassion to 53445 to give right through your phone, no matter where you are. Of course, you can also put a stamp on an envelope and mail your gift to our Compassion Radio office. P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California 92877. Again, that's Box 77160, Corona, California 92877. We so much value your messages and letters. And know this your gift is deeply appreciated. Thank you for loving us in this way.
1: When the U.S. pulled out and the Taliban advanced so quickly, and the chaos erupted at the airport, and the U.S. did not keep its promise of getting A, all Americans out, or B, getting out the people who had served us, and we'd made them promise we would. Instead of changing the timeline and waiting longer, we left, actually a day early. Mm-hmm. I thought that was tragic. We were very quickly involved on the phone from America, because we just came from a, a mission in Burma. I was seven months in Burma, came to America on my way to Iraq and Syria, and this happens in August. Very quickly, we are on the phone trying to help guide families in. The SIV holders, the people that had the special visas that worked with the U.S. government and would be killed, soldiers, people who were the DEA, all, all Afghans. But we also were helping American citizens with blue passports, mm. which we thought would be easy. But towards the end, the last three days of that exfil, some Americans were not allowed in. And the very last day, there was a family of four, for example, from Amarillo, Texas. I was talking to them on the phone and talking to their handler, who was actually Taliban. Mm. We kind of say a small T Taliban. I means he just flipped to their side. But he was helping the Americans get to the gates. Yeah. The American soldiers inside were ordered not to let people in. There was a bus at the same time of 45 Americans that were allowed in. And there were many others I didn't know about. These are just the people I knew about. Family of four from MRL and 45 Americans. We are talking with State Department, with the US military. Let them in. They got blue passports. They're Americans, just like we are. The answer was, well, we know they're Americans. We're not allowed to let them in. anymore. No one can come in even mm-hmm. though we're not taking off for another 24 hours. That was shocking. Yeah. I thank God for the Americans in the State Department and the military who disobeyed orders and kept sneaking people out. I'm so grateful. Yeah. And I thank God that the people we tried to get out, eventually some of them took a month to get out through Tajikistan, but they did get out. Amen. And there were groups like Sentinel Group, which is a group of many American ex-Special Forces who did a great job in Tajikistan getting American families across and then we got in relationship with the uh, church in Afghanistan, quietly, and the church in Tajikistan, both trying to help each other. Mm. In the middle of all that, we were invited by the Afghan leadership, who was still intact. The president fled, but the vice president and, the, and mo- much of the government was still intact, and they were in the Panjshir Valley. And we were asked, please come to the Panjshir Valley and establish a humanitarian corridor. We'd go in by foot, horse, helicopter, however it took so that we could bring in food and supplies as they stood against the Taliban. So we went to do that. But by the time we landed in Tajikistan, we left on 6 September, the Panjshir Valley had fell, and there was no resistance that could hold anything. There's still resistance, but they have no ground they can really hold to establish a corridor. And it was done. And so this is the first time we'd arrived somewhere, and there was nowhere to get into. They had lost everything. And what I mean by everything, there's still pockets of resistance, but it's not coherent. They wouldn't even accept airdrops. They said, they'll just give us away. They said, please stay with us and wait. And we hope this will change and we'll be able to open up a couple pockets of freedom. But that has not happened yet. We had a great opportunity to meet with the Afghan leaders that came out, though, from the Penshir and pray with them and listen to their testimonies. Mm. These are Muslims that said, God's invisible hand saved us. He saved us. And now what do we do to get our country back? And we were able to pray with them and said, well, we're just small. Actually, they said, are you missionaries? And, you know, usually in Afghanistan, you don't want to say you're a missionary. They said, are you missionaries? We said, yes. They said, good, we trust you. Because missionaries have pure souls. They didn't say pure minds. They didn't say pure bodies. They didn't say pure motives. They said pure souls. Meaning, you know who God is. You know you belong to God. You know you need his mercy and to follow him. So we had this connection. We were able to give out Tajik Bibles Hmm. and pray with the leaders and say, we're at your service. Anytime a door opens back into Afghanistan, we'll come and help you. And in the meantime, we moved along the Tajikistan-Afghan border, working with a local Tajik church to get small numbers of Afghan Christians out who needed to flee. Some Christians aren't going to leave. They want to stay. So we spent a month doing that, and also we got food and supplies for about 300 people, that were already fled over to the Tajik side as refugees and gave them food and supplies for a month. And our ongoing relationship with the Tajik church and with the Afghan underground church, which we have a connection to, is ongoing and small.
0: It's very important that we reiterate that anytime we hear about a God-forsaken place out there, it's not just a misnomer, it's a lie. Because we know that God intends for his presence to be known everywhere, and he already is present in those he sent them. So when you go, it's not so much about bringing the gospel to a place, but discovering how the gospel is arriving and what part of it you need to play. God has established his people. He has not forgotten them. And there are believers, faithful followers of Jesus in all of these countries, all of these stands around that part of Central Asia. And we need to remind our listeners that there are Christians on the ground who have chosen to stay even if they're given opportunity to leave, because they believe their witness is essential to what God's kingdom plans are in that part of the world. And you, David, have to respect that, and you do. I've seen you do it before. You don't necessarily understand it emotionally because you want to help them, you want to protect them, you want to save them for another day. But they don't always choose that. So give me a story, if you can, about the Tajik and Afghan believers that you met of how they're processing these events and what they believe God is telling them to do next.
1: Well, for the Afghan believers, they feel that this is a great evil that's befallen them, but they believe that God is bigger. And for those that stay, they say, this is where God has us, Mm -hmm. to keep watering the church that's been planted. And as long as we can stay, as long as God has us stay, we'll stay. And some of them have been able even to continue their work, Mm -hmm. even though some of the Taliban know they're Christian. Now, other of them are be hunted and killed. It's really different depending on what part of Afghanistan you're at and what the local Taliban are like. In other words, are they really hardcore Muslims or are they just people who flip sides not to die and join the Taliban? So it depends on how people feel called to stay and where they're at. And then the Tajik church is relatively new, but strong Hmm. and vibrant. They're very careful because the country has lots of rules. For example, it's kind of a quasi-Muslim country, but calls to prayer are not allowed mm. because they don't want extremism. Right. And so the church also has to be careful. One of the wonderful Tajik leaders, he was an ex-boxer, mm. and he fought against the government before, and he fought everybody, and he didn't like Christians, and then he met Jesus. Mm. And now he cooperates with the government, he loves Christians, <laughs> and he helps everybody, Christian or non-Christian. In fact, this particular individual led us to all the refugees who were Muslim, who'd already fled over and helped us to do the feeding programs for them. And he's also the ones helping coordinate escapes for Christians. And he said, this is what God has us do. Some places where the Ponj River, which separates the two countries of Afghanistan and Tajikistan, where it's narrow, he has these huge rubber bands and he slingshots MP3, MP4 Bible cassette things across, or recordings across. Awesome. And he hands out Bibles everywhere he goes. We were able to partner with him, and there's others too, And then there's a local foreign community of volunteers, or I would say they're missionaries, but they probably call themselves something else there. They're a wonderful, quiet church that support him and others and do many works, like some are agricultural, some are teachers, but they're there to share Jesus' love, and they're allowed to stay. And so you're right. The church is already there, and it's been there, and the gates of hell won't stand against it. And I just encourage the listeners, keep praying for the believers that are there. Almost everywhere in the world, there's already believers. Mm -hmm. And so we pray for them, and we are so privileged to work with them. And actually, it was the only way we could do anything effectively.
0: Well, God puts your men of peace wherever he's going to have you go. And you've made good friends with many of those men of peace across the years and across the countries you've traveled. Yes, sir. What is the most important thing you think was accomplished by your free Burma Rangers when you went to the border with Tajikistan and Afghanistan this time around?
1: I think the most important thing we did was we went. When people said help, because we were asked by the Afghan government before they completely lost the country, please help us. We went. We didn't just go blindly. It took us ten days of prayer and discussion. Do we really need to go? Because it's not our main area. We need to get to Syria. But it was someone has to help these people, and we're willing to do it, and we have the capacity. So let's do it. And I think that's the most important. We went in Jesus' name, and we went and responded to a plea for help. When we got there, we couldn't help in all the ways we wanted to. Mm. We were able to help in much smaller ways. I think that help's important, too, the food, the supplies. But I think more important than any of that was sharing about Jesus and that he sent us yeah. and that calling his name yourself and see what happens. I remember one night I was up in the mountains. We were walking along the border trying to find escape routes. I was with a group of local men, Muslims, and I was talking about Jesus and why he sent us here. And they were agreeing, it's good to help the Afghans. Finally, on the fifth day we were going to depart, I was going to go to another area. I said, can we pray? And it was at night, and the moon was out, and the peaks on my right went up to 20,000 feet, Mm -hmm. on my left up to about 14,000. These are big mountains. And I just felt I should get on my knees. I got on my knees, and the whole group of 17 men just dropped to their knees with me. And we prayed, and you could feel God's presence. And I prayed to God in Jesus' name. There, we use the word Yeshua Mm -hmm. or Isa. That's their word for Jesus. And I just felt his presence. And we got up and hugged each other, and we left. But whatever they do with what they heard about Jesus is up to them but I really feel they felt his love. I think that's the most important. I think the second most important was helping people who really need to escape, escape. And again, we did that through the local church. And then the least important, although it's pretty important when you want to eat, yeah. was food and other supplies for people who had lost everything and crossed into Tajikistan for help.
0: When you read the stories of people who can go for months without any real nutrition, but somehow hope keep them alive, there is real spiritual nutrition In the truth that brings about hope and life and a sense of God's presence. I do believe he sustains us literally. Yes. Well, David Eubank of Free Burma Rangers is always a breath of fresh air on this broadcast. And as you can tell, he's just getting warmed up. I hope you'll join us for our next two programs as we hear how the joy of the Lord, grit, and a serious dose of courage is accomplishing amazing things for the kingdom. In the meantime, learn more about its astounding work at FreeBurmaRangers.org. There's always gonna be some skeptics and some doubters. Stones they throw away, would rather run and hide. Always gonna be times our hearts are breaking. When songs are in the key a sorrow and goodbye. But there's hey. always- in- hear our podcast and to make your love gift simply go to our website compassionradio.com our toll-free number is 1-800-868-2478 you can also write us and send your gift by mail to compassion radio p.o box 77160 corona california 92877 i'm bram floria god bless you friends